Our guests are here and fortunately still alive. Oh, I'm going to get you that off. There is no way out of Welcome back to Final Girl Friday. My name is Molly, and I like scary movies. We're 38 days away from Halloween. It's finally starting to feel like fall here in Nebraska, and I have had a wicked craving for autumnal horror. More specifically, I'm in the mood for haunted attraction horror films. Hellfest, Funhouse, The Houses October Built. I cannot get enough of them this year. <laughs> I'm sure it probably has something to do with, uh, as some of you may know, I've been in poor health, and my recovery has been a slow one. In all likelihood, I won't be able to physically go to haunted houses this year, which is making me want to go to them even more than I already would, so I'm living vicariously. Bearing that in mind, and considering how much free time I have on my hands right now, I thought it might be fun to review as many haunt horror films as I can between now and Halloween. I don't know how many I'll be able to get through, but I'm excited to try it and see. I'd like to kick things off with the first in a series of haunt horror films that I only recently fell in love with, but I fell hard. Tonight, we'll be taking a look at Hell House L LLC. It took Tony and Paul about a week to get the electricity going, and um, that's when we started staying overnight. Uh, it was when we started sleeping there that things started to change. I have no idea why it took me so long to finally sit down and give the Hell House movies the attention they deserve, especially this first one. I'm really looking forward to talking about it. But before we can, I have a couple of quick points of interest. Firstly, at Gamescom this year, TerraVision Games revealed a hilarious and frankly thrilling trailer for a thing I never knew the world needed, but... I mean, I can't imagine a future without it now. It's the asymmetrical multiplayer Killer Clowns from Outer Space, the game. I haven't smiled this much while watching a game trailer in a very long time. It, it hurt my face. According to the game's website, players will be able to choose between harvesting humans as the iconic Killer Clowns or fighting off the extraterrestrial threat with a team of survivors. Killer Clowns is set to be released in early 2023, but it looks like they're still accepting applications for the closed beta, so if you'd rather not wait to smile your enemies with a popcorn gun, uh, you might want to check that out. Equally promising is that Killer Clowns is being brought to us in part by the executive director of Friday the 13th, the game, which conceptually and mechanically was one of my favorite games of the last 10 years. Speaking of Friday the 13th, just a few days ago, Smoking Zombie Films posted an update on their Facebook regarding the 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th Part 3, which I... how? How has it been 40 years? I swear to God, every day I feel more and more like Rose from the fucking Titanic. It's been 84 years. It's okay, just try to remember anything, anything at all. The update featured eight never-before-seen photos from behind the scenes of Friday Part 3, provided by Mako Koiwai, I hope I'm pronouncing that name correctly, the second assistant camera operator for the film. And the photos are fantastic. There's a shot of them filming the alternate ending, a couple of really great wide shots of the crew, and I think my favorite is this black-and-white close-up of Richard Brooker smiling at the camera in full makeup. It's adorable. <laughs> Next up, I know the internet is all abuzz right now with reactions to the new Hellraiser trailer, and I'm not without my opinion on it, but truthfully, the trailer that I'm most excited about, the one that kind of stole the show for me this week, is actually for The Midnight Club. Welcome to 
for your first official night in the Midnight Club. The Midnight Club tells the story of a group of terminally ill young adults living in a hospice who make a pact that the first one to die will come back and communicate with the rest of them from beyond. It's based on the book, The Midnight Club, as well as a couple of other works by Christopher Pike. I was a huge Christopher Pike fan when I was in high school, and I was so happy to learn that we're getting a new series based on his work, produced and written by Mike Flanagan, no less. We've given R.L. Stein and Lois Duncan plenty of adaptations. It, it's Pike's turn. The trailer suggests a lot of atmosphere, as is to be expected from a Mike Flanagan production, and some nice performances from the main cast. It also features Heather Langenkamp in the role of the doctor in charge of the hospice, and it's it's just always so nice to see her. The series is scheduled to premiere on Netflix on October 7th. Lastly, for a little recommended reading and kind of building upon the young adult horror theme, I do read things other than the Phantom Limb series at Bloody Disgusting. I really do. But God damn it, Jason Jenkins did it again. This week, he posted what might be my favorite Phantom Limbs ever, George Romero's Goosebumps, unearthing the kid-friendly horror movie Romero almost made. The editorial showcases a rough but lengthy outline written by Romero for an adaptation of Welcome to Dead House, as well as a letter from Romero to then-Fox family president Kevin Bannerman, in which George wrote, I have always wanted to make films for a young audience, but my reputation has insisted or caused those with checkbooks to insist that I was best suited for the hard stuff. Horror for a young audience and the fact that someone is taking it seriously seems not only too good to be true and a genre to which I would love to contribute, but also a genre which the aforementioned checkbook types might be willing to see as not too big a stretch for me. <laughs> And he ends it with saying, thank you for your time. I sincerely hope you can find a way for me to participate. This punched me right in the fucking heart. He also mentions in the letter that he had read several Goosebumps books to his then 12-year-old child. I love that he was not only a fan of that series, but that he really wanted to explore another facet of filmmaking. He wanted to make horror for young people. And the outline is really good. Jenkins shares the entire outline in the editorial, so I recommend giving it a read. I, I think it would have made for an awesome movie. All right, I think that's all I've got for tonight. So without further ado, it's time to dive into the movie. If you're new to this podcast and you don't hate it, stay tuned until the end of this episode for information on Final Girl Friday elsewhere. And as usual, if you haven't seen Hell House LLC from 2016, proceed with caution. There will be spoilers ahead. Okay, Hell House LLC. Written and directed by Stephen Cognetti, it premiered at the Telluride Horror Show in October of 2015 and was released on video on demand in November the following year. It's often regarded as a found footage film, but it's technically a faux documentary with a lot of found footage in it. Although in this case, I think it's fair to say the distinction is inconsequential because it feels like a found footage movie through most of it. The documentary is a vital part of the story, though, as it's trying to uncover the truth of of a mysterious tragedy that led to 15 deaths on the opening night of a haunt called Hell House in 2009. The only surviving member of the Hell House crew agrees to be interviewed and gives the documentarian a bag full of tapes containing all the footage of the crew in the weeks leading up to that tragedy. It's gradually revealed that there were demonic forces at work in the abandoned hotel where the haunt was located, and the whole thing ends as it began, but, you know, with a lot more context. The film stars Danny Bellini as Alex, the creator of the haunt, Ryan 
Brian Jennifer Jones as his girlfriend Sarah, and Gore Abrams as Paul, one of Alex's oldest employees and essentially his videographer. He's responsible for filming all the behind-the-scenes stuff as the crew sets up. For that reason, most of the found footage stuff is yoked to Paul's perspective. I just heard a strange noise. I'm going to go investigate. Cognetti originally wrote Hell House for a standard narrative with tons of backstory about the Abaddon Hotel, which is the hotel where the haunt is, that had to be culled when they switched to found footage, which I personally think that worked out well in the long run, as he was then able to spread that lore across three films fairly easily. For this first movie, I think he did a great job of adapting to the shift in format because it stands alone beautifully, and having so much of the story fleshed out ahead of time, especially with this style of filmmaking, adds a lot of weight to the characters' interactions, both with each other and their environment. I've heard a handful of people compare Hell House to Lake Mungo, and while I think tonally they're very different, that is something that they have in common. I got the sense from both that even when key elements of their stories came together, I was still only seeing the tip of the iceberg, you know? Is that two Titanic references in one episode? What the fuck? Jesus Christ, man, what the fuck is wrong with you? Dylan Scott of Vox.com describes Hell House as extremely seasonal in the best way, which is such an accurate description. It thoroughly satiates the cravings I've been having for autumnal horror. It isn't a perfect film, but it is perfect for this time of year. And I think a big part of that is the location they chose for it. The movie was shot at an actual haunted attraction called The Haunting at the Waldorf Hotel in Layton, Pennsylvania. It was a really good call to shoot this in a real haunt. The layout of the building is disoriented. You have these long, narrow hallways and stairways leading to enigmatic corners of the hotel. It's very easy to get turned around. The place is, is kind of like a maze, which naturally adds a layer of believability to the story, and it creates a more immersive experience for the audience, at least it did for me, as it feels when I'm watching this like I'm moving through a haunted house myself. It's also genuinely scary at times. It's rare for me to find new horror films that really freak me out, and this one did. The location, of course, being contributory to that, but the way the found footage was shot is also very effective. It feels like most, if not all, of the scenes were shot by the actors themselves, and if they weren't, kudos to cinematographer Brian Harnick, because I cannot tell. <laughs> the documentary side of the film is not quite as solid, definitely less realistic, but it's also shot very well, and, and we'll get to that. The found footage is great. What do you know? Um, there's no one that tell me. <laughs> don't know anything. Uh, rumor is called. I, uh, the owner was supposed to have hung himself in here. Oh, what? Oh, when did that shit happen? You didn't mention that, Alex. Because it didn't happen. It's a rumor. Why they call them rumors? The evil in the hotel is reminiscent of House on Haunted Hill, the remake from 99, in that you have what feels like a handful of dark entities randomly trolling the living, and they're all tied to a singular source. In this case, it's the spirit of Andrew Tully, the original owner of the hotel, who we don't actually see in this first film. He becomes a much more present character in the, in the sequels. That demonic variety show thing reinforces that this is a haunt horror film, because much like real haunts, you have a bunch of seemingly unrelated scares being tossed at you from every angle. It's a thing that normally bothers me, actually, but I think it's brilliant in this context. It just, it adds to the experience. I love that all the effects are practical. 
As far as I'm aware, there's no CG in the film, and it's surprisingly tame in terms of blood and gore, which I wasn't expecting. I mean, I love blood and gore, but I just, it was kind of refreshing that this didn't rely on that. Things do get a little brutal toward the end, and one of the actors legitimately vomits on camera, <laughs> and they kept it in, but that's about it. Um, the rest is smoke and mirrors, background fuckery, etc. And excellent editing, too. The editing is one of my favorite things about this movie. The pacing of it all is exactly what I would hope to see in a movie like this. It doesn't drag its feet like, say, Paranormal Activity 4, but it doesn't jump the shark either like Next of Kin. It takes its time, but it has fun doing it, and it never forgets its audience. This is probably a good time to note that the only version of the film I've seen is the extended cut, so I'm not sure what the theatrical cut is like pace-wise. I'm really sorry if they're dramatically different from one another. Another strength of the found footage side of Hell House LLC is the cast. I think almost everyone did an excellent job. They played well off of one another. There was some good chemistry there. I mean, it was a little obvious in Ryan Jennifer Jones's performance that something was seriously wrong with Sarah, but that, quote, twist at the end, her having been dead the whole time, it's been done so many times before, I don't fault it for being predictable. I think there are only so many ways that you can tell that story without tipping the audience off at this point, and, and it's a great trope. My favorite character in the movie is Paul. I fucking love Paul. Gore Abrams did such a great job. He seemed really comfortable in front of the camera. He was able to balance being a douchebag with being a lovable scamp really well, and it was hard for me to watch the evil closing in on him. I really wanted him to be okay. Felt I felt very protective of Paul. Abrams is also the actor who legitimately threw up while filming. He was clearly devoted to the role because he just powered through it. Alex was the one character from the Hell House crew that didn't quite work for me. Bellini's delivery was just a little too over the top for my taste, a little less natural than the others, but he was still endearing and his performance definitely could have been worse. Let's just say this place has been closed for 30 years. Okay, why yeah. is it closed? Oh my God, their pipes burst. There was a lawsuit. We are building a haunted house. Okay, this is half the work's already done for us. I don't know what you guys are freaking out about. As I mentioned earlier, this is not a perfect film, and most of its flaws, in my opinion, can be found on the documentary side of things. It's a weakness that really revs up in the second Hell House movie, but it's evident here as well. The composition, editing, and writing of the documentary are all on point, but the performances from the interviewees feel way too scripted. Jeb Krieger did a really good job as Martin, the journalist, but yeah, that was about it. And I think it's especially jarring because of how natural the found footage feels. It just makes the interviews seem even less realistic. Like Alex, everyone from the documentary grew on me over time, but it was a little hard to stomach during my first watch. I will say, though, I really like the fusion of faux documentary and found footage. I would like to see more of it. And one of the reasons I like it so much is because it allows filmmakers to score their found footage films without pissing me off, at least. And I'm, I'm so glad this movie has music. I'm a big fan of the ambient stings and the minimal piano melodies that make up the score. It was all done very well. But yeah, the performances on the documentary side were just, they weren't my favorite. There's also the Joey problem. They hire Joey uh, not long before opening night, and his job is to sit in the clown suit in the basement and kind of stand guard over Melissa. And when we finally see the full footage of what happened in that basement, it just felt a little half-formed. Like, like, Joey just gingerly gets up and runs away quietly in the midst of what sounded like several long minutes of pure hell on earth from 
outside. And we know that he killed himself just a few days later, but we don't see a single thing happen to him. I would have been fine with it being left up to the imagination, but because we do see him for those brief few seconds just like casually stand up and hustle out of the room, it's like he, he didn't look like he was fleeing for his life. He didn't look possessed. Martin mentions the tragic story of Joey and he gets his own intertitle. He's one of the only characters that gets an intertitle in this movie. It just feels to me like Joey was meant to be a much more important character than he wound up being. Honestly, though, I don't really have any other complaints. Some people have slammed it for a lack of originality. And I mean, I get that. You have a creepy house built by a psychopath. He dies. His spirit haunts the place and traps people inside, turns them into ghosts that then haunt the place. And then, of course, you have the aforementioned twist of Sarah's been dead for six years. Yeah, it's all been done before. But I like that. It makes it feel like a classic ghost story told in a new way. And there are some really fun and unique moments, especially with the scares. I think the scariest moment in the film for me is the second time Paul wakes up in his bedroom. We hear him kind of tossing and turning as he's waking up. It's pitch black in there. He rolls over, turns on the camera light, and there's the ghost of the girl who died in the hotel just sitting there, just casually staring off into the void. That was fucking terrifying. The strobe light gimmick as well really got me. And I haven't even touched on the clown. Like, I don't even think I'm going to actually. Just know that there is a really creepy clown in this movie. I'm not even cowrophobic and it scared the shit out of me. So if you haven't seen this before, I want you to experience the clown for yourself. You had Sarah uh, being interviewed by Diane, and they ask her at the very beginning of the film how she's feeling, how she's been coping with everything that she survived. And she responds with, I'm in a better place now, which I think is very clever. I mean, again, is it a mystery? No. It's very obvious that Sarah is dead, but I think it's a nice bit of writing. And there's quite a bit of that in this film, these little moments where you can just tell that Cognetti was having fun and that he had a passion for what he was writing. Don't fucking open that. What? It it's what we're here for. We're, here we're not here to fucking go into a creepy ass room. I am. I was so pleasantly surprised by this one. It's fun. It's scary. It strengthens my Halloween spirit. And it gets a bunch of bonus points because none of the characters are assholes. Yeah, Paul acts like a horny college kid half the time and Alex definitely has issues, but there's still people I would be happy to hang out with. And the same can be said for pretty much everyone in the film. Considering the year this came out and the size of the cast, I think managing to make all the characters likable basically makes Cognetti a hero in my eyes. Not only that, but there are a lot of people out there who credit Hell House for restoring their faith in found footage, which I get that I'm still in kind of a honeymoon phase with the subgenre, having only recently developed an appreciation for it after hating it with the fire of a thousand suns for two decades, but I can imagine how burned out people must be. I think it's great that the cast and crew of Hell House made something that eases that burnout a little bit. Tony the Terror of Letterboxd said, every time I get ready to write off the whole found footage subgenre, something like Hell House LLC comes along to prove that it's far from over. Over at IMDb, Eddie Baggins said, just when you think the found footage horror film has nowhere left to go, along comes a low-budget gem like Hell House LLC. And then Jeremy of Scream Geeks wrote, there are only so many different angles and scares you can do with found footage. I don't really expect much from new found footage films, and that's exactly how I felt about Hell House on Amazon. I had an hour and a half to spare, so I decided to give it a whirl. In my opinion, it's one of the single best found footage films ever made. And it, I mean, the reviews like that, they just go on and on. There, there's just so many of them and it just 
I don't know, it makes me really happy. Obviously, there are no guarantees that if you're not a fan of found footage, this is going to change your mind or what have you. But I do think anyone who likes found footage or is terrified of clowns in a fun way will get a kick out of this one. There are currently two sequels to Hell House. There's The Abaddon Hotel, which I'm not... I'm not crazy about. And then Lake of Fire, which isn't quite as good as the first film, but it's still a lot of fun. I won't spoil either of them, but both sequels dive a little deeper into the, the life and mind of the late Andrew Tully, the history of the hotel. Cognetti has hinted several times that a fourth installment is pending, but that remains to be seen. Fun fact, the Waldorf Estate of Fear in Leighton, Pennsylvania, where the haunting at the Waldorf Hotel is located, currently has two attractions that are Hell House LLC themed. There is a 30-minute explore and escape attraction where you're given a flashlight and you go in with a small group of people and try to find your way out of the house. There is also the Haunted Hell House Paranormal Experience where you're led through the hotel by a team of paranormal investigators with what they refer to as advanced equipment to enhance the paranormal experience. So if you live anywhere near Leighton, Pennsylvania, or if you're looking to take a vacation and you're a fan of Hell House LLC, just throwing that out there. So those were just a few of my thoughts on the first of the Hell House movies. Have you seen Hell House LLC or its sequels? Are you afraid of clowns? Do you hear the meow mix jingle in the song that Paul is playing on the piano in this film? Because I don't. <laughs> and apparently that's a thing. If you have any thoughts at all that you'd like to share on this movie or any movie really, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on the Slasher app. My username is Final Girl Friday, Instagram at Molly Oblivion, or if you prefer old school correspondence, feel free to email me at finalgirlconfessions at gmail.com. Before we wrap up tonight, I wanted to share a few recommendations with you guys that you may not need or want. Won't that be fun? As I mentioned at the start of this episode, I'm probably not going to be able to hit up many haunted houses this year. So lately I've been revisiting some of the virtual haunted houses that I discovered during the first year of the pandemic, you know, when they were cropping up everywhere, because I got to get my kick somehow. <laughs> Obviously, nothing will ever compare to the real thing, but I've had a lot of fun with these. And so I just wanted to share them with you guys in case, you know, you're up late one night, can't sleep and feel like getting a little spooky. Or if you find yourself on the run from a possessed mannequin and you trip and fall down the stairs and break your legs, which isn't going to happen. You know, just in case. These are free private activities, so you can do them alone, and you could do them right now if you wanted to. As I said, I have no idea how much use you guys will get out of these recommendations, but I just wanted to pass them along. A couple of these are a little on the wholesome side. I feel like that's sort of the general theme of this entire episode, actually. It's, it's one of the more wholesome episodes I've done in a long time. It's the Halloween season, man. I spend 11 months ensconced in cinematic brutality. So I kind of use October as an excuse to embrace my inner child and just enjoy wholesome spooky fun. So first and foremost, there really isn't much in the way of virtual haunted attractions. During the pandemic, there were a couple of haunts that had temporary online experiences. But as far as I know, most of them have discontinued those. But there is a website called Fright Bites that's been around since 1998. It's often referred to as the world's first virtual haunt, and I'm pretty sure 
sure it's one of the only ones. It's home to a handful of text-based interactive horror stories that offer a kind of virtual haunt experience. The website is like a time capsule for the GeoCities era. It's amazing. It looks so delightfully old school. But once you get into the stories, you see just how much love and care and thought went into the creation of them. And it's a neat concept and it's a lot of fun if you're in the mood for some lighthearted Halloween fun. Next up is more of a sit back and watch kind of thing, but it's looking great. It's called the Thistle Mansion, also known as the most haunted house listing on Zillow. If you go to Zillow.com, you know, the real estate marketplace, and you look up the Thistle Mansion, it is in fact a house listing listed at 667 Dead End Drive in Nowhere, USA. It's a four-bedroom, three-bathroom, 6,800-square-foot house that rests on 25 doomed acres. It was built in 1882, and its last remodel was never, apparently. This listing is fucking adorable. Like, it really upped my respect factor for Zillow, I can tell you that. It's got a whole backstory and everything, and if you check out the listing, there is a, a 3D home button you can click to get a version tour. Again, you just sort of sit back and watch. It's not that interactive, but it's it's great. And then my personal favorite virtual tour of a real place that's rumored to be haunted is the Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. It was at one point the most expensive prison in the world, and it has an incredibly fucked up history. Like, I'm talking a very dark past. It's serving a much better purpose now as it's an architectural marvel. If you're a fan of urban decay, just I recommend checking out the virtual tour just, just to see this place. It's, it's stunning. During Halloween, the penitentiary is home to five haunted houses. Uh, but the virtual tour is fantastic. I'm a really big fan. Now, I tried not to include many video games on this list, but I, I have to include one. It's a short game. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes to play your first time through. And it's a donation optional, so you can play it for free. It's called Wrong Floor. It's been around for a while, but it's, um, it's fucking creepy. To me, it feels more like a proof of concept for a haunted house. Like, I would love to see Wrong Floor in a real world setting. So the whole game takes place in a stairwell, a, a seemingly never-ending stairwell. You are riding an elevator, you crash into the basement, and your goal is to find your way out. I highly recommend playing it at night alone in the dark. It's fucking scary. And then lastly, while the Eastern State Penitentiary is my personal favorite of the virtual haunted tours, the Paris Catacombs is by far the most fascinating. In fact, I just visit the, the virtual tour of the catacombs sometimes just when I need to calm down. They're absolutely beautiful. So if you're not familiar with the catacombs, uh, in the 18th century, Paris's cemeteries were suffering a major overpopulation problem. The remains of more than 6 million people were moved from the cemeteries into a, a massive underground ossuary. The ossuary is a maze of lengthy tunnels leading to dead ends. There are these plaques everywhere inside that have like religious and poetic texts on them that encourage visitors to reflect and meditate on on death. At the entrance to one of the formerly public areas of the catacombs, I think they're closed currently, but there, there was for a long time a small section of the catacombs open to the public. And uh, when you walk down into that public section, there's a sign above the door that reads, stop, this is the empire of the dead. And the very best part of the catacombs is that the remains that were taken down there were arranged in meticulous patterns where you have like skulls and tibia forming walls and sculptures 
pictures all throughout the galleries. It's fucking incredible, man. It's just amazing. If you've never seen the Paris catacombs, Google that shit and check out their virtual tour. So those are just a few of the virtual haunts and haunt adjacent experiences that I have been having a lot of fun with lately. And if you check any of these out, I would love to know what you think of them. On that note, I think it's time for me to stop talking. Thanks so much for hanging out with me tonight, you guys. I'll be back hopefully next week reviewing another haunted attraction horror film. I hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Stay safe, stay sane, sleep sweet, and until next time, creep it real. Creep it real.